Hey guys, welcome to yet another great episode of Destiny Geeka. This is Taylor. And Amanda here. Alright, so this is actually part two of our three-part series about supervillains and all those people who kind of cross that moral gray line. Today we're actually going to be talking about the vigilante. Right, and the vigilante is actually a really, really weird category. And we place them under villainy part two because... Well, the dictionary definition of a vigilante is a member of a self-appointed group of citizens who undertake law enforcement in their community without legal authority, typically because legal agencies are thought to be inadequate. So, I mean, that's Oxford English Dictionary's definition of a vigilante, which basically means someone who looks at the police, says the police aren't good enough, I'm going to do law my way, which is, you know, kind of illegal. Definitely. And along with the vigilante, you've got kind of another subclass of it, which is the anti-hero, which we'll be discussing as well. And the Oxford English Dictionary defines that as a central character in a story, movie, or drama who lacks conventional heroic attributes. So this could be bravery, a strong moral compass, easily swayed by money, power, or fame, or Amanda's favorite, the concept of not taking it too far. Yeah, and we're definitely going to touch on that because we have plenty of even good guys who just sometimes can take it a little bit too far. It's like, okay, stop punching the guy. You can stop punching him now. <laughs> Please stop. Yeah. So what's interesting about this, and because, of course, you can't discuss villainy without the vigilante, we, of course, have our own definitions of a vigilante. Mine is the guy who's pretty much in this for money or some obscure personal vendetta. Now, to me, a vigilante is sort of the individual that's either easily chasing a dollar or, as the OED said, is the guy that perceives justice as inadequate. I have a hard time with this just because most of the time this is entirely, you know, an opinion. Typically the justice is fine, they just don't see it that way. <laughs> And then me, on the other hand, I see it as someone who has decided to take that they are the law or they aren't exactly good or evil, but they tend to be out for themselves for the most part. And we see this a lot. And Amanda hears me complain about this a lot, that we have a lot of characters out there that get classified as a villain when all in all, they're really not that bad, but they're also not that good at the same time. So they kind of fall into that little extra category. Yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why we're having this conversation, and that's why the anti-hero is um, added into it, because as we've gone through our journey with comics and video games, we definitely find that there are some characters who just, you have a hard time dealing with the moral decision, but you can't fault them for the result. So, before we even begin, let me just give a little disclaimer. If you hear the word Raging Cajun over and over again, I apologize, Amanda's super excited about this because we get to talk about one of her favorite people ever. I need you to not judge me because Gambit is the only thing that matters. I apologize ahead of time, everybody. <laughs> so, speaking of Gambit, we're going to dive right into the guy that's notable for being in it for the money. So this is going to be your basic group of vigilante. They are usually the ones that are in it for the dough. So money motivates. It's what's most important. They can easily change between good and evil depending on who's signing the check. So this is when you're going to get Deadshot, Black Spider, Deathstroke is a very popular one, and of course Gambit. Absolutely. And another notable example of this actually is really, really old depictions of like the Winter Soldier. He definitely was siding with whoever was signing the check, whether that was Hydra or S.H.I.E.L.D. But this is an interesting category because this is the one where money sways. And it gets very, very hard to like or not like these characters just because you never know which side they're going to be on. I mean, 
how confusing was it to go through the X-Men animated series and Gambit be on a different side almost every episode you see him in? Exactly. Because one moment you think he's warming up to Rogue and then you find out it's for an ulterior motive because someone has decided they're going to pay him or they have dissed his reputation as the Prince of Thieves. So it just gets really, really hard to form a strong opinion about these characters because money motivates, money talks. And that's actually a pretty common theme with that type of vigilante is that it's this indifference. It's whoever signing the check. And typically their moral compass is just slightly skewed. They're basically just in it for the dollar. So they don't really see what they do as negative. They see it as a means to an end for a paycheck. But at the same time, you know, money's not always what is doing the talking. A lot of times it's a new life. It's a family member or something like that. And that's where you like characters like Deadshot, who is always trying to protect his daughter or niece, depending on which canon. Or probably one of the most famous that people tend to overlook would be Black Widow before she officially joins the Avengers. With her trying to basically erase everything that she did back in Russia. Yeah, Deadshot's an interesting example, because again, just depending on who's writing him, he's either completely money-motivated or completely family-motivated. So I never really paid much attention to him until he became super bishy in Assault on Arkham. And Gambit tends to fall into that category as well, because sometimes it's money, and then you'll find out a lot of times a lot of it goes back to the rivalry between his family back in New Orleans and then like the rival family of thieves. So there's always that wavering point of, you know, yes, sometimes it's money, but a lot of times there's a much darker, more personal view about it yeah also for gambit rogue is such a big motivator for him and that's one of the reasons why he's so difficult to classify is he'll be just about to you know take someone out and then rogue will say no and he'll at least pause for a minute he might still rip the guy's head off but you know he'll at least pause for a second so you know staying within the vigilante obviously which is our main point like we said you have the anti-hero and these are usually people like we said you know they're neither really good nor bad but there's that gray line and their moral compass is kind of like the one in pocahontas where it just kind of spins over and over and over again it doesn't really stop anywhere yeah these are definitely the guys with a very very skewed or tainted view of justice i mean how can we not bring up the guy who you know whose moniker is i am justice and i'm the knight (laughs) precisely and batman is probably up there with no not with he is the tier of where this whole thing falls under absolutely and a good way to look at Batman is back when Batman was first created in his, you know, Detective Comics, which is what DC Comics stands for, Batman ha- was a lot more loose on exactly how far he would go. Interesting fact, the original Batman actually carried a gun with him and he was not afraid to use it. Yeah, I remember a lot of people getting shot. Precisely. Unfortunately, we lose that tone and it kind of gets pushed under with how crazy all of his villains are and stuff like that. But I think we really owe Frank West a big thank you because... He He's the one who really brought in the idea of Batman possibly going a little too far back into that anti-hero category with his Dark Knight series. And then Christopher Nolan did a pretty good job of it as well. Yeah, I just, I've always struggled with this with Batman because I so badly want to look at him and him be a hero. And I just can't help but pause and look at every single time he's gone too far. He's taken it too far. Him not exactly going with the law has caused more harm than good. The collateral damage, the far more effort that people have to do to make up and clean up his messes. I mean, it makes him, depending on who's writing him, incredibly unlikable. I mean, I think one of my favorite things about Assault on Arc 
Gotham is how almost unlikable Batman becomes is that it's like, oh, well, he's the guy responsible for filling up Arkham with loons and stuff like that. I think that's one of my favorite portrayals of Batman are, you know, he's just this guy who basically is creating this Gotham freak show and he's the one leading it. And, you know, going too far is really what Batman's, I guess, kryptonite, I guess you could say, is. And he's not the only one. Miss Martian is a very good example. Now, I'm not very well versed in Miss Martian outside of Young Justice. And actually, the best example, period, is uh, the episode where you meet Simon and she goes way too far with trying to defeat him. Yeah, I mean, mind erasing is never something that you need to do to anyone. And as much as I hated Young Justice, that that groan was audible, which I hope it was. As much as I hated Young Justice, I do like that they almost pinned her as really borderline a villain because she was so willing to use that power and while she was plagued by guilt for a little while as soon as she saw that it was a very very effective weapon it suddenly stopped becoming such a bad thing which is one of the things that ended up breaking up her and her little superpowered boyfriends and caused a major rift in her and some of the other young heroes now this isn't exactly comic book canon but we do struggle a bit with martian manhunter occasionally where he won't see a problem with it but Superman will be like, no, dude, no, that's not how we do it on Earth. You know, it'll be Superman or Aquaman or someone, you know, kind of saying like, hey, hey, bro, that's not how we do things. And, you know, you get this issue a lot with higher power beings, because I know Satana had that problem where she was forced to erase the mind of Dr. Light, and it kind of just went downhill after that. Hers was more if she didn't think it was wrong, but, you know, she was asked to do it over and over again, and it started to kind of affect her character. Yeah, it actually ends up being a bit of a problem with your like magic or you know magic ish heroes that they can do something it's like oh can you just turn back time and make this not happen like well that's not ethical um <laughs> i shouldn't but if you say so you know it kind of becomes this really really weird crux and if, unless you have a strong moral compass or cultural sensitivity enough to understand that that's not how we do things you know for this universe again for martian manhunter it was a little bit different. That's just how he's always been used to doing things. Like, oh, well, you don't just defeat people by erasing their brains. It's like, no, that's not, that's called jail. You know, for Miss Martian, she was making a decision. That was a choice. Every time she did it, it was like, I know this is bad. Oh, well, your mind is now gelatin. Which is interesting considering, you know, from episode one, you know, that the young Justice kids told her, hey, you can't just go into people's minds. Like, that was like one of the first lines in that show. Yeah. Hey, 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 no, no mind sinking. <laughs> And one of the greatest examples, especially as far as Overlooked goes, has to be probably one of the most powerful beings on the entire planet Earth. And, you know, that's Superman. Oh, my gosh. If I had a dollar for every time Superman took it too freaking far. I mean, just stop punching Lex Luthor. He's only human. TJ knows this about me. I like to yell at the TV every once in a while. I think that's most of what you hear from me when I watch, like, the old Superman the animated. It's like, please stop punching people. It's just, just, just stop punching people. That's not the answer. <laughs> and I think, you know, kind of in that category of cultural sensitivity and stuff like that, I think with Superman, he's not aware of how strong he is sometimes, especially when he's against other more powerful beings. I remember an episode of Justice League Unlimited where Darkseid showed up and Superman basically says, you know, with you, I don't have to hold back everything I have to hold back to. And he gives this whole speech about how, you know, Earth is so fragile to him, blah, 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 blah. The entire time, he has not stopped punching Darkseid. He's like, stop, stop. Which, you know, he didn't really like when Doomsday did that to him. Right. I mean, and that there's something to be said about the overkill situations. Like, I remember there was plenty of instances, like with Aquaman, that he just like summoned a tsunami to take out one guy. And it's like, you just destroyed like 20 people's houses. You know? <laughs> 
there's definitely there's an interesting aspect of the going too far when you have like true superheroes i mean i think one of the most interesting things about the vigilante is because it's an issue of the perception of justice being flawed it's usually an average guy and i think that's what makes it such an interesting you know category because vigilante actually comes from you know the latin word vigili which is basically just a group of guys that watch the ancient streets of rome so a vigilante at its purest form is just a normal guy who just wants to take care of things in a different way so to lump these guys you know these superheroes that are typically so good but just depending on who's writing them or depending on the episode are almost just as bad as the villains is really interesting it really is and you know batman's great you know superman's great but there's actually a lot of lesser known and more modern versions of the vigilante that we've got to see in the past couple of years right and actually one of my favorite and purest of the vigilantes to me is the spirit now i love the spirit i'm not just an angry hipster i did read the comics forever ago was so excited to see that there was a movie for it a frank miller movie yet alone and while people may groan and balk at that by all means please do frank miller is an acquired taste i really liked it and the spirit's a great example because this was a guy who was a cop denny was a cop first and foremost and then he died at i mean spoiler if you haven't seen it or read the comics yes he he starts off dead it's like yu haka show so he comes back to life magically death is attractive in this version he comes back to life and now he can't die or it's very very difficult to kill him well he still wants to fight crime he's a cop that's all he ever wanted to do well he's dead so can't go back to the police force can't go back to your old life or you know you'll be killed again take on crime as a masked hero and he becomes the spirit the city's spirit which is how he gets his name i know cheesy right it's cheesy isn't it it really is but i mean you gotta realize what time period he came from 1950s where everyone has android flip phones hey <laughs> you can't say anything because in all honesty we'd have to go and point our finger at gotham right now that takes place in the 70s and everybody has cell phones I'm just saying. But the spirit's a great example of the vigilante because he's the one following police protocol up until every point until you mention the octopus. And as soon as you mention the octopus, suddenly he's, you know, kicking down windows, you know, firing in between women and children. And he's, at that point, police protocol no longer matters. I always loved the spirit, like, even over Batman because Batman would just go over the police's head the spirit would always try to work with the cop like hey i heard something on the blotter what can i do it was always an attempt but then wait this is octopus related gotta go and then he'd go off the handle but if it's you know like oh i heard that there was a robbery anything i can do it's like i mean how how much more helpful is that to have a guy who can't die you know basically being you know the cop's best friend <laughs> So in other words, the spirit is that fine line basically between Batman and the Punisher. That is a great analogy, but way more attractive. Spirit is way more attractive. <laughs> <laughs> now, for any of those of you who are kind of confused and you you know you're you can't, you're not really connecting the dots, a really great currently going on example is Arrow. Now, as Amanda is with the spirit, I am very 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 Team Oliver Queen. <laughs> Yes, he is. No, 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 there's a pause there. There was a huge pause there for my judgment. <laughs> Not even that. It's the fact that I'm a big Green Arrow fan versus the CW's Arrow. Now, I, I appreciate both for what they are, but Arrow, 
they they have that great depiction of you know Oliver finds out that you know there's this entire corrupt system in his city. You know he comes back after five years of being on this island and decides he's kind of one of those people if he doesn't think that the cops can't handle it. It's just he's the only one who knows about this secret organization going on in Starling City. So he takes it in his hands to take out the thugs, the drug dealers, the corrupt businessmen. But the great thing with Oliver Queen and Arrow is you see that transition from the vigilante that will go way too far, so that you know that'll be your early batman's your punisher you know even spirit when octopus is related to where you know where his version of taking out everybody is he will kill people he will put an arrow in their chest but after a tragic event he realizes that he's no better than the people he's trying to take down and so he becomes more focused on using fear and intimidation that batman uses but without crossing that line of you know putting an arrow on people's chest not knowing when to stop punching just that whole that metamorphosis basically from the vigilante to that anti-hero state. Right, and that actually is a good transition to one of the things that I've always struggled with, especially as we get into more and more of the cinematic universes, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad TJ brought up that there's a difference between, like, Green Arrow and Arrow, is I have a hard time with, like, the darkening of campy figures, like, I don't know if any of you guys have ever hear, heard me rant about, like, how I'm not used to Hawkeye being serious. I'm not used to, you know, I still struggle with the Wheatonverse. I still struggle with some of the depictions in some of the X-Men movies. But it's a great point to bring up is, especially with this category, this hero that's kind of on the fence. And even in his campiest iteration, Green Arrow was always kind of like, boom, headshot, like, please stop. You know, especially when you have these characters that are on the fence, depending on who's writing them, you can have a Batman who, you know, still reading to parolees to one that's just sniping out people, you know, miles away <laughs> and you know that's the thing that we see a lot of nowadays is you have really you know using green arrow as another example you know the character who never goes for the kill shot and depending on who's writing them you know you've got an error between your eyes without even you know without a second glance or second thought yeah it gets really really intense it's been a recent trend i mean think of like the dark knight and stuff like that we've just had a lot of heroes that were never that dark get super intense and serious i mean i guess that's a cool thing that's probably something we're going to talk about later on because if you guys know anything about me i'm all in favor of the campy heroes i loved you know i loved old green arrow with all you know punching glove arrow and stuff like that i loved all of hawkeye's jokes well i didn't love the jokes i loved that he made them i hated the jokes you know, I love the Aquaman that, you know, still makes fish puns. I'm not used to an Aquaman that's, like, you know, putting a trident in people's throats as he, you know, has a chariot of sharks pulling him on land. Like, I'm not used to that. <laughs> and, you know, and staying in theme with, you know, the more campier comics and, you know, the anti-hero subject is not all anti-heroes, you know, are these violent, crazy-driven people. And I think a great example, one of my favorites, is Catwoman. And not just Catwoman, but as well as, you know, the Gotham City sirens altogether. So, you know, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and Catwoman when Batman's not involved. And that's probably one of the things that irritates me the most is that a lot of people identify Catwoman as a villain where, in all honesty, she kind of falls into that rogues category that we discussed in the last episode of she's really just out for the pretty thing. And, you know, she doesn't try to hurt anybody unless she has to. And usually it's just a rough up Batman. So he has something to think about later after she leaves. Yeah, I mean, I'd almost put her in the meh category that we're going to discuss coming up because she's really motivated by the shiny thing. Like Sans Serif, you know, the basic counterpart in the spirit. But you definitely do get these individuals that end up 
kind of crossing the line but are really really you know i think actually one of the i think poison ivy is a great example of that because especially depending on who's writing her she could be incredibly passive I mean, one of my favorite episodes of batman the animated series is when you know she's trying to live well she apparently is trying to live a normal life and batman just will not leave her alone it's like i know you're up to something it's like why can't you see it that i'm just trying to be happy i mean she wasn't but i mean still it brought up this obsessive part of batman that is like no she was just trying to do what she does you know she reformed she found a guy i thought that was a really really interesting depiction of her it also sort of brings up again you'll get these individuals that are just very very obsessed or focused harley quinn is a doozy because i think without the joker's influence she'd just be another person working at arkham so i have a really really hard time putting her almost anywhere and as any of the writing has indicated without the joker's influence she's pretty much whatever Granted, I mean, you take her cartoons away and she'll bite your ear off. <laughs> hey, that was a bad portrayal. That was a way more intense portrayal. That was in line with how messed up I was after that one Batman Beyond movie where we find out that Timothy Drake was kidnapped by those two and was like super hardcore brainwashed and stuff. <laughs> you know, in correlation with really the Gotham City Sirens and, you know, characters like Black Cat and stuff like that, you know, the difference, I think, personally for me, between, you know, that line between the anti-hero and the meh is when it comes down to it, especially in, a, in an actual sense of good, these characters tend to actually fall more into the, you know, they'll fall in line and they'll help out and, you know, actually save people. And I think that's kind of what is the fine line between the anti-hero and the eh part of it. Yeah, I think for me, it's always been like big defining moments. It's for me, it's like when Apocalypse comes, whose side is Gambit usually on? It for me, it's looking at that character because almost all of these individuals have faced some kind of apocalypse-ish scenario. Even some of our supervillains, it's where do you fall in line when Galactus is outside and it's either team up with you know your rival for a minute or deuces, I'm out of here, you know, ride off in a trail of you know flipping them off and saying ooh <laughs> i think that's the bottom line for me that's kind of between the meh and the anti-hero you vigilante i mean at the end of the day gambit usually was on the side of good when shit really hit the fan you know same with catwoman poison ivy as long as you didn't you know step on her plants yeah you know the minute you step on a leaf she's like bye <laughs> And, you know, and then there's that whole other category of when a hero, a villain, an anti-hero, a vigilante makes us, as the reader, question our own morals. And, you know, and when you, this is basically when you're sitting on the couch and you're sitting there, you're cringing, you're like, please, please stop, I, I need you to stop, step, step. Yeah, I think TJ has been blessed to see a couple of those moments with me. I get really quiet. I get really when I'm not okay with something that I'm watching, and I'm an anime fan, so TJ's TJ knows that my limits for moral compass are slightly different, especially when it comes to like American comics and stuff. But you'll know, I get really, really quiet when I'm not okay with something. I get super like I become speechless, and that should tell you volumes. And I think that's probably one of the most interesting aspects is when you reach that point with a comic figure is when you feel like they've taken it too far, and not just in the hyperbolic sense, like. Joker acquiring a dirty bomb at the end of Assault on Arkham was just, whoa, 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 where did you get that? That was just hyperbolic. But, you know, that moment where Batman is punching a guy out, and it's like, okay, he's gonna stop now. Okay, no, he's not stopping. He's gonna stop any minute, really. He, okay, it's been ten minutes of punching. No. <laughs> 
it sits and makes you question. And actually, one of the greatest examples of that comes from one of the comics that TJ and I actually share as one of our favorites. That has to be the whole Darkest Night saga for the Green Lanterns. She actually means Blackest Night. Blackest Night, forgive me, I'm sorry. But no, and you know, that's a good point. And you know, with that, you've got you've got the whole issue of people are dead, people are coming back to life. And it comes to the, you know, it, it's like we discussed just a moment ago, you know, that fine line of when hell on earth is happening you know what side who do you side with and we see this depiction a lot in a lot of different ways basically crisis on two earths injustice gods among us even dc universe online you know lex luther will instantly be like oh no we best friends we save the world now yes it's like no that's not how this works but i do need your help you know it comes down to those big crisis situations and I mean, I think it's important to know where your lines are drawn. I mean, mine are pretty flexible. I definitely give more, you know, allotments to, like, Batman than I do Superman. It's really appalling when the guy that I know is supposed to be good, you know, is taking it to... Actually, that's probably one of my biggest issues then with Young Justice, is that it just seemed to be an entire series of everyone that I held as a pinnacle of not being awful were awful people. There was no place to turn in Young Justice that didn't have one of your favorite childhood heroes with egg on their face. And that was, that made the series pretty insufferable for me. Uh, you know, I fully agree because there are even moments when you had Dick Grayson who like you knew he shouldn't have been doing things and yet he found himself doing it. And in all honesty, in that category, I really think it was Zatanna and Artemis that were really those characters that never really crossed that line. I think Artemis had a few towards the end when she's doing the whole like double agent thing, but she didn't tell him anyone that she was doing the whole double agent thing like that one that for me with her i had a really hard time dealing with her i yeah young justice was just it was a moral compass wasteland it was where morals went to die and you had robin stealing information from batman which i don't know why batman even allowed that and just didn't you know boot to the head and, you know like i don't even understand like you took files from me don't do it next time it's like no you need to take him out he has compromised you stop that you know everyone in that series took it too far and that just that just made it really really hard to watch because there was no there was nowhere to turn again one of the best parts about the anti-hero vigilantes is that they're a foil that if you draw anything from this is that they're a foil to the guy who's meant to be good batman's meant to foil superman you know and when you have no one to turn to that has a moral compass you're in mad max you're you're in anarchy we keep going back to Batman as a great example, but unfortunately he's like the pinnacle of, I guess bad choices would be a good a good example, but you know, it's always safe to say that if you know anybody who has a plan to take you out, even though you have a much greater moral compass than they do, high chance that's going to be your vigilante anti-hero character right there. Yeah, or I mean, unless it's the Hulk, everyone has a plan to take the Hulk out. Which speaking of, I mean, we didn't even mention Nick Fury at any po- or all of S.H.I.E.L.D. at any point in time. Because that's a whole different freaking category. I would I would hardcore put that in meh. Because that's just shady, underground, you have no idea. I mean, unless... Okay, so, to defense, I would almost put that in the same category that we would put, like, Winter Soldier. Like, in that weird money talks, above the government, below the government, will do whatever they need to, but it's not always kosher. But in that really, really odd category. And again, it totally depends on who's writing them, because there's sometimes where S.H.I.E.L.D. is, you know, is, is like Captain Planet, 
you know, Nick Fury, you know, don't forget kids, brush your teeth at night. You know, it just, it depends on who's writing, you know, these characters. And there's some where he's, you know, an extension of his character, of Samuel L. Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction. And there's others where he's just a campy good guy of strong morals and keeping everyone under wraps. Precisely. And, you know, that that's probably going to be a later show, uh, just considering because, you know, as a man just talking, I'm actually thinking, you know, I'm coming to mind, you know, the difference between, you know, you know, Nick Fury and Maria Hill and that whole that character that is a moral compass, which I'm sure we'll definitely do a show later on about. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can have a whole show based on moral compass. And again, keep in mind. Who is writing it is going to be a huge factor. There are some episodes of Batman where he is the most placid. Think of like Batman Brave and the Bold, which I didn't hate. You know, I didn't hate that. It wasn't good. I just, I didn't hate it. You know, you have some of the most vanilla Batmans ever. And then you'll get some where it's just like, oh my God, what did I just watch? You know, if if we're meant to bash Young Justice again, Batman was pretty chill in that. All of it basically goes down to there's this fine line. You know, one day Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn are just sitting in Gotham in their apartment not minding anything. You know, the next day they're a PSA for meeting strangers on the internet. So, and that's kind of what this whole episode is about with the vigilante and the anti-hero is there's just that fine line that separates them basically from not only hero and villain, but each other as well. Yeah, so this category definitely takes some soul searching. This one definitely requires you, our fair listener, to decide what your moral compass is. If you're okay with Batman knocking the lights out of an old lady to get information, that's on you. I may not want to be your friend, but that's on you. (laughs) You know, if however you're more sensitive to some of these situations and your, you know, moral compass is set very, very high, then by all means, that's totally respectable. I know mine, mine's very, very flexible, but you, you'll know when I'm outraged. TJ has learned over the years I have no poker face. You can tell when I'm morally outraged, so it's pretty obvious, and I'm usually pretty vocal and honest about it, too. Trust us, we've got a couple movie nights set up, and you'll know the difference between Amanda's yelling at the TV and that moment where you expect her to say something and nothing comes out. Yeah, or you'll get, like, garbled, like, muttering noises where, like, I'm trying so hard to formulate a sentence and I can't. That's how you know something's really, really crazy. But, guys, this is all about the conversation. We definitely want to hear from you. And villainy is such a big topic. It's so serious and so intense and huge. We definitely want to hear from you guys. So, shameless plug for our Facebook. Feel free to like us and talk to us there. We definitely keep up with it and we'd love to hear more. Have a better example for a vigilante? Feel free to throw it at us. I mean... We're kind of hipsters, so a lot of the examples we bring up are kind of old. It definitely shows. We're aware of all the new stuff, but our favorites are definitely the older ones. I mean, come on. How long did I get to talk about the spirit? (laughs) I'm actually surprised you cut it down as far as you did, and there wasn't that many Gambit fangirl moments. You know, I'm trying to be polite, but with Gambit, you can't understand most of what he says anyways, so it's all just in my heart. I hope We hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, join us for part three, which is when we're going to discuss the meh villain, which is going to be that villain that you can't categorize anything else. They're, they make no sense. Yeah, this one's totally an extrapolation of some of the ones we've talked about before. Like, you'll definitely hear Sans Serif in this one again. You'll definitely hear Catwoman in this one again. You know, you'll most likely hear Gambit again. But this is the villain that is either going to be way too campy to even be a villain or is barely a villain at all and is just kind of not a great person. 
it's it's interesting. It's a weird category, but it definitely as these characters get more and more, you know, talked about, you have to look back at them and see them for what they are. And you know, in Catwoman's case, it's a woman that's hunting shiny things, and occasionally that happens to be illegal. <laughs> She's being really nice with that. But before we go on a complete and total other tangent, you know, this is Taylor, and this is Amanda. Y'all have a great e- have a great time, you guys. <laughs>